0: I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I am also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Be sure to check out our website and sign up for our newsletter for the latest on the podcast. Today is part 1 of 2 where we are talking to any Amanda about her novels. Over the next two weeks, you will hear about teaching herself to read, writing from an early age, taking a long break from writing while learning other arts, knowing that you always must consider learning to improve, accidentally publishing your first book, joining critique groups before being ready, going wide from the beginning, writing what you love, the marketing struggle, finding the books that you love, taking into account your personal strengths when listening to advice my lucky star. Imagine having a celebrity doppelganger. Now, imagine a hot TV star asking you to impersonate that celebrity to save his career. Failing to make it as an actress, Aria Dunn is back in her hometown of Napier working as a location scout. No more unattainable dreams. Just casual clothing and low expectations. Until she finds a Turkish TV star hiding out in the historic hotel she needs for her client. Sem Erkam is desperate for good publicity after a drunken night ends with compromising photos. With his family banking on his success, he hatches a wild plan. A fake relationship with the New Zealand woman who looks like his old co-star. He just needs to keep his hands off her since they have no future. That's what everyone's saying, and they're right. But the more time they spend together, the harder it is to stick to the script. Swept into Istanbul's glitz and glamour, Arya is forced to reevaluate her sensible life plan. Should she give her acting dream one more go? And what is she supposed to do with the Turkish heartthrob and the most unattainable dream of all? My Lucky Star is a story about rediscovering passion when your dreams have failed you. It's also a story of all that is hot and Turkish. Men? Tea? Kebabs? like a dizzy in book form, but with a lot more heat. Escape to New Zealand and Istanbul with this spicy slow-burn rom-com. The podcast is Freya's Fairy Tales, and that is Fairy Tales in Two Ways. Fairy tales are something that we watched or read or had read to us when we were kids, Also, the journey for you to spend weeks, months, or years working on your book to hold that in your hands is a fairy tale for you. So you said you've heard the podcast before. So, you know, first question I'm going to ask is, what was your favorite fairy tale when you were a kid? And did that favorite change as you grew up?
1: That's a great question. Um, I grew up in Finland speaking Finnish and reading in Finnish, so... I don't think we had access to all the same stuff and it's Uh kind of that's where I I will say that I didn't actually read fairy tales as in like the classic fairy tales I think those were kind of delivered through Disney or they were like you know the Uh that type of like not really reading but they were more turned into those kids films and so you, you know you'd see something like Cinderella and it would be a animated film, not really a fairy tale. Like I uh-huh. wish I had been read fairy tales, but um, no. I think my my mum and dad went for some local things, and there was like a, um I don't know if you've ever heard of Moomin trolleys. That was my like big favorite as a kid.
0: No, <laughs> but you know I've, was I've a, never had yeah, one. It's a whole
1: world created by this um, a Finnish Swedish author Duve Jansson and yeah it's a it's beautiful. I think Japanese um some some Japanese team picked it up and made like a animated film out of it or or series and it's been done again since then. so it was you know then we had the books and we had the um so it's, it's, yeah it's a whole other like a uh, well, we're coming from a different culture and it's like a different very some of the English ones were there, but they were kind of like part of the mix so I do remember, like, I remember loving things like Pinocchio, Uh because it's like the whole concept of someone becoming real because you love them so much. Uh It's just, um, and I recently saw the Guillermo del Toro's version of that Uh gorgeous animated film, and it's, yeah, it just reminded me of how much I love that story. But my problem is that I never really think about the past. I'm like very future-oriented person. So when Uh someone asks me what happened in my childhood or what I liked, I was like, I I really have like takes me a long time to kind of go like, oh, do I have any memories of my childhood? Like, what do I, (laughs) (laughs) what can I access? Like, what can I dip and can I actually pull anything out of it? And I was like, well, very. So I think a lot. There's, there's so many books that are informed by fairy tales or influenced by uh-huh. fairy tales that are kind of like you end up reading fairy tales in different ways right. even if you're not reading the Grimm's classics or something you, you're still reading fairy tales of uh-huh. like different twists and takes on them so I do remember reading um like, I read everything Enid Blyton had, like everything that was translated at least <laughs> at the local library. So, those were like, I just loved anything with adventure and anything with like detective stories, mysteries, that kind of uh. thing. So that was really where I went as soon as I learned to read and uh-huh. kind of build up. I, I taught myself to read because in Finland, you go to school when you're seven. And I thought that was like too long to wait uh-huh. I, I was five five years old and I was just fascinated by letters and like I needed to know what it what things said and what it meant and all <laughs> yeah. that so I figured it out <laughs> by myself and I think my my dad was very much against it because he was like oh that'll be the end of your childhood like don't learn to read so so it was it was almost like this forbidden thing <laughs> And I was supposed to continue my childhood. Which makes you
0: want to do it more when you're a kid, doesn't (laughs) it? (laughs) Exactly.
1: So here's a great trick to get your kids to, to read is like, tell them that they're not allowed. <laughs> Which I've, I've failed myself uh, as a parent, because I'm, I'm always pushing books to my kid and like, Hey, here's a great one. And he's like, no, I don't want to read it, mom, because you gave it to me. And because you told me to read, I don't want to do it.
0: So, yeah. How have uh, I not had this? <laughs> so at what age did you start writing?
1: Well, I wrote my first book when I was eleven.
0: Okay. <laughs> it was, it was,
1: I think it was mostly because my dad had bought a computer. He like he was very much into technology, and he had to have the latest gadgets. So uh-huh. he got like um the first um, Amstrad sixty four that was available. <laughs> I think some people had the Commodore, but we had Amstrad. Very similar. We're talking about like two color screen and <laughs> right. And like no no mouse, just the keyboard and like lots of uh, commands, short commands to bring up this like very rudimentary program where you can write All something. Right. So I yeah I started experimenting with that. I was actually writing on the computer, and this was the nineties. Like this was really really, really early. <laughs> Kind of and I got printed on this like matrix printer, you know, they had like a green and white <laughs> stripes and these holes in the sides and yeah, it came out this long continuous. I still have a pile, like my mom kept this printing, it's fading, very very much fading now. I like, can still tell the letters, like yeah. <laughs> so I wrote a story, I was it was quite a long one, lots of chapters, and it was like 70 pages long with this like printed in this printed mm-hmm. format. So, I spent a, quite a long time on it. That was my first sort of attempt. <laughs> then, I, <laughs> then I went a completely different direction and didn't do any writing other than for school or something like that for mm-hmm. a long, long time. But yeah.
0: So, when did you? So, I imagine in school you would have been doing like short stories and like essay more type stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is,
1: obviously. And this is all still me in Finland writing in Finnish. So, again yeah very different in that sense so it feels like a different different world for me um but I did yeah I did write quite a bit of that I enjoyed it and I did well at school and like writing was 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 always the easy subject and Uh something that yeah came easily and I loved it but I didn't really think about writing my own stories after that first attempt for some reason I went (laughs) I started doing more and more arts and, and drawing and something, um, my kids starting to come in. Um, so I, yeah, I focused on art and writing was just something that was, it was like a handy skill to have. Was uh-huh. like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's good that, but it's, I never really, yeah, I didn't, didn't think about it for a long, long time. Until I went to film school and started writing like screenplays. And mm-hmm. that's when I I was like, Oh, I have all these stories I want to tell and all these things I want to do. And but I was then trying to write them all in the screenplay format. Because mm-hmm. obviously I was studying that and I was thinking very right. visually. And it's again a very different medium. It's yeah. And it's an interesting introduction to the world of writing again mm-hmm. because it's it forces you to focus on the visual and how, you know, how it's going to de- going to turn into a film. And there's a lot of things that you can't do. The rules are kind of like a lot stricter than mm-hmm. with writing novels. You know, obviously right. you have to um, stay out of their heads. You have to find a visual way to represent anything. Like, so right. It's, yeah, sometimes... It- it felt really, really slow and difficult. <laughs> but it knew it, like it never flowed in that uh-huh. sense. Like maybe because of the format as well, because you're uh-huh. writing in this sort of the script format isn't the it's not the nicest reading experience. Even if you're right. used to reading, it, it's it's different. So yeah, that was my. And this is like many, many years later. I went to film school when I was in New Zealand and I was already like 27 years old. So it was
0: like... Okay. So that's from 12, 12 to 27. That's 15 years. Yeah. And so when did you make the switch from like scripts into novels again? Again that into was novels. Only, uh,
1: yeah, that was a lot, lot later. Um, I must have been like 37 when i um i was expecting my second child and i don't know that was my deadline i was like oh um when i when i have two kids then i was i had this insane fear that i won't have time for anything else anymore so i have a bit of right now that i'm still
0: pregnant <laughs> i mean that that is a logical like way to think of it <laughs> um but so, yeah you know, there's yeah um, there's always that little bit of you know you make time for what you want to make time for too mm, <laughs> so
1: yeah I think it is it's then you just focus and and that that was so easy that just felt so easy I think I was I was reading more sort of women's fiction and chiclet and romance or whatever I was called back then not really not a lot of romance to be honest I wasn't fully aware of the genres back then I was kind of uh-huh. I just picked up whatever I, I looked interesting in the library and just read it so it was uh-huh. a, I wasn't like steeped into the world of romance or writing or anything like that I had uh-huh. never even heard of bookstagram or booktok and so I but I had this idea that I I kind of like I understand the the basic workings of story i kind of I've read a whole lot of these craft books when I was studying screenwriting and I kind of I continued studying studying screenwriting and writing screenplays after film school so I kind of like did that and and did some filmmaking and ran a film festival and did a whole lot of things so that was always part of my world and then then I don't know I I think I read some chiclet book, and I was like, Yeah, I can see how this is put together. I can do this. Like, this seems like a really easy genre, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) which is really deceptive.
0: (laughs) I feel like every genre has its challenges. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it really does. And the deeper you go, the more challenging it is. Like, it's just, yeah, yeah. But it's, I think it's good that you get that first nudge that idea that hey this seems easy i'll just try it i mean if you didn't then you'd never really start
0: right? right right
1: it's like if i if i told everyone how difficult it really was in the end it's like i don't really actually want to put people off because if you feel like it's easy and you anyone could do it or you could do it better mm-hmm. then you should try and it's like the only way to get started and get sucked into it and then then you keep developing and learning. And that's the, that's the fun part.
0: Well, there's so many authors that I've talked to that it's, you know, you may think, oh, this is easy. And you may get, you know, a page, a chapter, two chapters done, and then the idea kind of fizzles out. And then you get another idea and you write another couple chapters and you keep like building on that until you're finally able to. Now, there are some authors that put pen to paper or whatever your writing medium is. And Come out this full-blown novel right off the bat but for the most part it's a lot of starting with poetry or short stories or something smaller and then building up to the full-length novels um so yeah that's i don't know that i ever paid yeah, attention a- to like Specific genres. I I know, like, for me, epic fantasies seem terrifying because of all of the, like, big things that you have to do in an epic fantasy for it to be an epic fantasy.
1: And that's the crazy thing, because when I was writing screenplays, I, I, I didn't even classify them as being any particular genre because it was... This is like different terms that you use when you're selling a screenplay. It's often you just comparing it to certain things that uh-huh. were before, and it's less genre based. Or people don't talk about genre as much. But, but I I wasn't in the romance side of things at all. Like I uh-huh. I, I don't think I ever wrote anything that had much romance in it. It was <laughs> it was all like paranormal and very you know. Action, adventure, you know, very uh high concept. Like I went for high concept every time. It was like I have one TV pilot that's set in the afterworld, like it was all afterlife, mostly afterlife based and in this like it's a whole like lots of the work goes into building and, and making the concept work like this is uh-huh. it, the rules of it this is the rule so it's it's a lot like fantasy in that like there's a world that looks like ours works a little different
0: uh-huh. um
1: these are the rules these this is where it resembles our world and this is where it doesn't and so there's a whole lot of that and it's yeah it's funny and I went from that and it was like oh, I'm gonna start writing novels and they'll be it <laughs>
0: So so you went from no romance to oh lit will be easy and then what happened?
1: <laughs> yeah exactly. I wrote my first book which was um well then classified as a sweet romance. That's what I found out it was after I wrote it. It's like, ah, oh, okay, that's what people are calling it because it didn't have any sex on page and it was it was just that and it was in two POVs and very much focused on this one love story and Mhm. And I only I wrote it mainly because I'd spent years doing this research on living in a tiny house. Cause I had this dream like we're gonna one day like live in a tiny house, <laughs> build a tiny house. But our family was growing was like and that dream was slipping away. It was like with mm-hmm. the second kid, I don't think we'll ever fit in a tiny house. Like this is not gonna happen. Not and comfortably. <laughs> Definitely not comfortably. And I didn't want that research to go to waste. So uh-huh. I was like, I can put that in a book and I can like live this experience through someone else in a different life situation. So
0: uh-huh.
1: I just wanted to, yeah, that was my, my way of saying goodbye to the tiny house dream of like, <laughs> I'll just write a book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how long did it take you to get like the first draft of it done?
1: I wrote it kind of on and off for maybe six or seven months like until the okay. baby came and and then I yeah I didn't know anything about editing or publishing or anything at that stage like I my whole experience was filmmaking and uh-huh. design and film festivals and things like that it wasn't really useful and I I think I accidentally published it by uploading <laughs> it on Smashwords. <laughs> you accidentally published. <laughs> yeah, it. I didn't I didn't understand. <laughs> I was trying to like create an e- ePub file out of it or something and Okay. And I was using that website to do that. And it was just like I googled something. I can't remember exactly what I did, but at some point I was like it's actually on this website now. And I had created a cover for it because I'm, you know, a graphic designer, so I was like I wrote a story, so it should have a cover. Right. Um so it was there and I like put it as part of it. I thought, well, that's cool if it's like part of the EPUB file. Um, and then I was on the website and people were like paying money to read. And, and I was like, what's <laughs> happening here?
0: <laughs> I was so it. So you and, <laughs> didn't have it edited. You accidentally published it. And
1: then what this, did you do? This is, this is a, yeah, you can take this route to publishing, everybody. <laughs> so I kind of retrospectively learned everything I need to know about publishing and I don't know everything but I mean a lot more than that and yeah looking back I'm like wow that was, that was
0: really. I mean everybody has to start somewhere <laughs> so yeah. people yeah. are buying your book were they like leaving well, remember, reviews this is or also like... <laughs> when
1: I've just had a baby and I you know yeah. baby just really you know all over the place didn't know what's going on um so it just yeah it was just something that happened on the side when there was like bigger things happening in my life
0: mm-hmm. so
1: it wasn't that focused. yeah but from then I kind of I went into writing another book and because I felt like well that wasn't too hard I could just keep going and see what Uh you know what happens with the next one which was also very much a sweet romance and more sort of YA-ish and I didn't really realize these things back then Uh I wasn't thinking of like the character ages or or things like that it was more about oh what would be a cool like storyline or theme to explore I think I'm still a little bit like that. I can't go um, tropes first, or I, I always think of the theme. I'm like, there's going to be a theme that I'm really excited about. Then. Uh-huh. And then everything else comes later. So I wrote a, another book that was, um, yeah, some some similar things, but also there's, there's this whole like a uh, little adventure bit of a mystery storyline going through and there's this lady looking for her father who comes to New Zealand and I there's the location I really wanted to go to um Waihe Beach we didn't have time to travel back then and um and it was again like a way to spend time in this gorgeous place
0: mm-hmm.
1: I can go through my book um and then I made the mistake I suppose of joining this big critique group on Facebook where you have like 30 something people reading your book Mm -hmm. like I got on their roster and I read and reviewed and kind of gave feedback on a whole lot of manuscripts Mm -hmm. and then it was my turn and I sent them mine and then I got all this feedback and it was just way too much feedback like I could not process it (laughs) (laughs) It like 35 sets of feedback on one whole I was like um obviously i been unclear about who I was writing to in terms of like it wasn't um that close to my first book and this was a women's fiction writers group so everyone was kind of like looking at the book going like well this this isn't like enough of a women's fiction story they were trying Mm -hmm. to pull in uh, kind of um push me towards uh, giving the side characters more stories and things like that, uh-huh. things that didn't have to do with the main romance,
0: uh-huh.
1: and it took me a long time to figure out that that was where the problem was. That that's what I was like. I was rewriting and rewriting and kind of going like, I don't even like this anymore. I don't know what it's. It is.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And then I had to go back and really like, I eventually just rewrote it as a romance because that's what I wanted to do in the first place and right I, I realized that I was in the wrong place with the wrong people
0: mm-hmm. getting
1: feedback from people who read didn't really read romance or even value romance that much it was like romance was this like sidetrack or afterthought <laughs> in the, yeah the other books that I'd read and I kind of like still didn't yeah it took me embarrassingly long to put together that this is really why I shouldn't have put my romance book to that group to be judged and and get feedback because it was just confusing the heck out of me I just couldn't Mm -hmm. like
0: I can't even imagine though essentially you had like 35 beta readers (laughs) wrong exactly wrong genre beta readers (laughs) Yeah, I yeah, limited yeah, mine to a like great
1: way to get yourself super confused and <laughs> like, you with this like that...
0: <laughs> I did mine my first book went to 5 but they knew what they were getting <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> um next book i'm gonna send to an an extra five so i'm gonna do 10 for the next book because i was like five wasn't quite enough but 30 i think would be way too much feedback on any book
1: like three or four at the moment that's all i need if they are like people who've read before and who's yeah if the if you have people who you trust already Mm-hmm. Then you don't have to do the numbers. I think. It's well, that's like,
0: mine is a lot of. So I had five, but only one gave like really big feedback. But I also didn't really know what to prompt them with for the first one. So I'm gonna yeah, do a bigger yeah, group yeah. with the second one just to help weed down the team, basically. Yeah. Um, which I don't want. Yeah, wanna... that's
1: that's a good good way to look at it.
0: I'm like, I don't want to spend like, 10 books trying to weed it down. Like, let's figure out who's going to give the best yeah. advice in the first, you know, two or three, and then we'll limit the yeah. team.
1: And people, you know, they become unavailable and then you have mm-hmm. to find it's, it's an ongoing process, I think. But I think um, the whole idea behind this, like large group of people is that you get, um, you go, like, you have to look at it like you're a data analyst when you Get your feedback is like Mm -hmm. how many people mentioned this thing, how many people mentioned that. Like you, you gathering all this,
0: all these statistics,
1: and then going (laughs) like, okay, if um thirty percent of people said that this was an issue, I'm gonna look at it. If it's Mm -hmm. under thirty, I won't. I I should have done it like that, but I'm really not a mathematician. I'm not like that's not my (laughs) thing at all. So I was reading every piece of feedback, going like, oh, I really respect this person and. I should listen to them. And uh, and yeah, it t- took me ages to get through it. So I- I'd rather now just go for like those three trusted people and right. get their feedback and that's it. And then just, but I think when you write more and more, you kind of feel you start to develop this confidence in how you're telling the story and what is the story that you're telling. And you, mm-hmm. kind of, and you also end up reading more and more in that, particular genre and you start to understand it better. so you you have this this idea in your mind of this is where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. And like I'm writing a book and it's going to be like that like that book like it's you have these comps in your mind already. It's like mm-hmm. I'm writing a book that's similar to these. So it's it becomes easier, I think, in that sense. and then if you don't need that sort of statistical, analysis mm-hmm. feedback kind of yeah <laughs> thing, which is really really oh well oh, I just for me it was quite off-putting
0: I can't even I think the only way I'd be able to handle that quantity of feedback would be if everybody was on like the same google doc and so like they were all commenting on the same exact thing because like mine I asked my five people ahead of time. Do you want me to send it all as one document or as multiple documents? Because I'd talked to authors who did it either way, um, and they were like, "No, like send it all to us individually so that we're not influenced by the other people's. You know, if someone really doesn't like something, it doesn't turn into everybody dogging on me for writing yeah. <laughs> that, that thing." Um. So yeah, so that I think every- there
1: are apps that actually de- deliver that. I haven't used it for a while, but there's like. Beta reader, IO, something that where everyone does give individual feedback, but it all shows up in the same document and kind of shows you like it starts to like paint red that, you know. Problem area oh. where everyone was commenting or something like that. It's
0: you know I think because everybody was familiar with Google Docs, that's why I went that way. Um, I didn't even know that there was a platform that did that. But then everybody would have to know how to like would have to learn yeah, how exactly. to use that's it. So. I so.
1: find that's a major hurdle for that, and yeah. I also needed to learn how to use it. <laughs> yeah,
0: like, yeah. Awesome. So I'll probably I'll probably stick to Google Docs. <laughs> and so. the problem
1: is like when you approach new people. You don't want to onboard them onto new technology every time. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a major thing to do right. when people know how to use Word and know how to use Google Docs. And right. you just It's just so much easier to go with what's already there and you want to focus on the writing And this. And if you're part of one of those critique groups, they usually have their own rules and how things are done. And in that mm-hmm. one, you just, you just got your Word doc back with comments, like, you know, mm-hmm. times however many. I think mine just happened to be a really large number. And that month, they just had a lot of reviews and people mm-hmm. saw a lot of readers. But essentially, it's you just have to kind of adjust to like, I wasn't even writing in Word, but I had to convert my manuscript into Word format and learn to work in that because everyone mm-hmm. was using it. Yeah. <laughs> and then as I started really u- like using editors and proofreaders and working with them, then I'd have to send my book in Word format, and I had to be more comfortable with whole, like going between different right. formats.
0: So, your first book that accidentally got published—how did I? I assume you pulled it down at some point. How long did it take you, or is that version still up on there? No,
1: <laughs> not that version. <laughs> I, I um, later on discovered that. Um, there was this place called Amazon <laughs> selling books way more than Smashwords. Yeah, yeah, just just a little bit. And I been, like never even shopped on Amazon for anything. Else. Not that I remember, because it wasn't like I've lived in Finland and New Zealand my whole life. It's you can order from Amazon here, but it's not like a giant thing. It's
0: mm-hmm. my
1: husband does for certain things, but and I now order books sometimes, but. Again, it doesn't service New Zealand very well, that company.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so we have other ways of buying things. So you're not that used to I think just I just it didn't occur to me at the time. Um so did. yeah. I pulled it from SmashWords. At some point I think I realized that I can go to Amazon and I can like I can actually get this ready and publish it for real. Mm-hmm. Um and then I discovered um, Drafted Digital, so I could get it through through them to all the other channels. I didn't uh-huh. even know about Ku at the moment, so I just went like wide everywhere, and I think that was a good decision. And I've gone back being wide <laughs> after a stint in Ku because I was like, that was actually I did a lot of things accidentally right in the beginning, so I was selling more <laughs> than I was after. I figured things out and started like adjusting what I was doing. um my my sales went down and I yeah, um my next book that I wrote and actually got um, professionally edited never did as well as the first one that I accidentally published. so I've gone this like now I was just starting to pick up again, but I'm kind of like uh, I'm all over the place, and what I do and don't and what I learn doesn't seem to translate how I sell, so I'm I'm really a weird one out in here. (laughs) I think I still haven't like fully analyzed what, like why I think it's something to do with like the small town tropes and certain things that were just making that first book really easy Mm -hmm. to grab. Yeah, it could be. um, Bookbub has taken it several times and that's been like most of my sales are probably from that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it seems to be that one book that's just, it's just an easy easy one to sell even though it's yeah it's my first one and i'm obviously pushing all the others and not that <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like but i you know i've written better books that i'm really really proud of that i really really want to tell you about but they're like no we want that this <laughs> so <I'm like>, okay. <laughs> is the reality uh, i you know so there cool. are
0: um there's an author that i narrate for that writes a lot of paranormal romance and she's like you know five ten years ago when paranormal romance you know twilight was coming out which i guess was more than 10 years ago (laughs) anyways you know a while ago paranormal romance was like the big thing and everybody wanted to read and write paranormal romance and so she did you know really well during that time and now it's kind of like slowed down a little bit but at the end of the day i'm like just write What it is you want to write because you're going to be more passionate about it, which means you're going to talk about it more and people are going to be able to tell that. And eventually things come back around and then your books are already there. Yeah, I believe that. And I think that's one of the,
1: the issues that I'm facing because I am so future focused that I'm kind of like delving into issues in my books that are only just sort of developing. Mm -hmm. and I've I've had these like weird moments when something happens in real life that already happened in my book like a year ago or something it's (laughs) like I've already imagined this thing (laughs) and it's like
0: this already happened in my head
1: (laughs) yeah I was writing about this like housing market crashing which hadn't happened yet in New Zealand but it did happen and now we're going through it and it's and there's other things, other developments within the housing market that I've kind of looked at, like oh, this is going to happen, like we're going to be three D printing houses and the whole villages, and it? it's like, it's only just starting to pick up. But that was, that was part of the plot in one of my books. That kind of like, was, <laughs> it's just uh, yeah, it's a bit funny. So you write so
0: future. Let's see, uh, you're predicting the future in your books. <laughs>
1: Yeah, even though they are contemporary, and I don't, like, they're not set in the future. I don't think mm-hmm. many people write romance that's set in the future. I can't even think of anyone.
0: But and typically, yeah. that's going to be sci-fi or fantasy sometimes. Yeah, maybe sometimes. a sci-fi
1: romance if it's really far in the future, but I mean, like, I don't know anyone who writes, like, five years in the future. <laughs>
0: Uh, I don't
1: know. <laughs> I don't think there's a niche there. Like that's not a that's not a thing.
0: That's not a trope. I, I don't know. I've never heard of one. That doesn't mean they're not there.
1: <laughs> so who knows? I mean, that'd be fun to kinda of establish this new Who knows? But it's yeah, I think it's often it's about timing with lots of these genres and and tropes and things that either sell or fall a little flat it's mm-hmm. it's all, all about timing and whether your book hits that that little um bell curve that's going mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's like this, things come and then they fade away and if you just happen to be there on the top when it's like oh this is what we really want to see and hear right. And read right now then yeah you might get really lucky but it's impossible to predict and you have to mm-hmm. yeah like you said you have to be passionate about it. You have to be interested in it. Like, how else would you market your books? Because it's like a full-time job and it's set
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Eni liked Pinocchio growing up. Today, we'll be reading the first chapter of The Adventures of Pinocchio. The Adventures of Pinocchio. Chapter One. How it happened that Maestro Cherry... Carpenter found a piece of wood that wept and laughed like a child. Centuries ago there lived. A king, my little readers will say immediately. Now, children, you're mistaken. Once upon a time, there was a piece of wood. It was not an expensive piece of wood. Far from it. Just a common block of firewood. One of those thick, solid logs that are put on the fire in winter to make cold rooms cozy and warm. I do not know how this really happened. Yet the fact remains that one fine day, this piece of wood found itself in the shop of an old carpenter. His real name was Mastro Antonio, but everyone called him Mastro Cherry, for the tip of his nose was so round and red and shiny that it looked like a ripe cherry. As soon as he saw that piece of wood, Mastro Cherry was filled with joy. Rubbing his hands together happily, he mumbled half to himself, This has come in the nick of time. I shall use it to make the leg of a table. He grasped the hatchet quickly to peel off the bark and shape the wood. But as he was about to give it the first blow, he stood still with arm uplifted, for he had heard a wee little voice say in a beseeching tone, Please be careful, don't hit me so hard. What a look of surprise shone on Mastro Cherry's face. His funny face became still funnier turned frightened eyes about the room to find out where that wee little voice had come from, and he saw no one. He looked under the bench. No one. He peeped inside the closet. No one. He searched among the shavings. No one. He opened the door to look up and down the street, and still no one. Oh, I see, he then said, laughing and scratching his wig. It can easily be seen that I only thought I heard the tiny voice say the words. Well, well, to work once more. He struck a most solemn blow upon the piece of wood. Oh, oh, you hurt, cried the same faraway little voice. Cherry grew dumb. His eyes popped out of his head. His mouth opened wide and his tongue hung down on his chin. As soon as he regained the use of his senses, he said trembling and stuttering from fright, Where did that voice come from when there's no one around? Might it be that this piece of wood has learned to weep and cry like a child? I can hardly believe it. Here it is, a piece of common firewood good only to burn in the stove. The same as any other. Yet might someone be hidden in it? If so, the worst for him. I'll fix it. With these words, he grabbed the log with both hands and started to knock it about unmercifully. He threw it to the floor. Against the walls of the room, and even up to the ceiling. He listened for the tiny voice to moan and cry. He waited two minutes. Nothing. Five minutes. Nothing. Ten minutes. Nothing. Oh, I see, he said, trying bravely to laugh and ruffling up his wig with his hand. It can easily be seen. I only imagined I heard the tiny voice. Well, well, to work once more. The poor fellow was scared half to death, so he tried to sing a gay song in order to gain courage. He set aside the hatchet and picked up the plane to make the wood smooth and even. But as he drew it to and fro, he heard the same tiny voice. This time, it giggled as it spoke. Stop it! Oh, stop it! (laughs) You tickle my stomach! This time, poor Master Cherry fell as if shot. When he opened his eyes, he found himself sitting on the floor. His face had changed. Fright had turned even the tip of its nose from red to deepest purple. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week for the conclusion of Annie's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands, and to hear another of her favorite fairy tales.